Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Good to see you too, a pleasure. So I just want to start off with uh, something that struck me reading the book. Um, as it opens, um, you talk about the pandemic and I was slightly surprised to learn that you had serious thoughts of quitting journalism at that time. By the end of the book, that prospect seemed to have receded slightly, but where are you on that question at the moment? That is a very good question and it's, something that I don't have a concrete answer to. And that's not because I don't love journalism. I do. It's just a convergence of two issues. One of them being that we cover very dark stuff in succession. Um, and it seems like it's getting darker and darker and it can be hard on your mental health. Uh, you know, even just today, we're reporting on the assassination of a world leader this is after Ukraine and the pandemic and the political divisions and these, you know, nonstop mass murders that we're seeing at schools or supermarkets, 4th of July parades in this country, big intractable problems that don't seem to be getting any better. So it can be a bit demoralizing. And then on top of that, um, there was just a Gallup poll out today that shows that the trust in, in media and newspapers and television is you know, hitting an all time low. People don't trust us, they don't believe us, and it makes me wonder if this job, as I'm currently doing it, is effective, uh, but if it's doing more harm than good. I don't have a good answer for that. Mm. So uh, those thoughts linger in the back of my mind. Sure. They linger though, because I, I do love it, and I do think it's important, and I'm hoping to find a way to to better communicate with people. Sure. Uh, we are following more breaking news this afternoon. As you just heard a moment ago, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo just spoke for the first time on camera about the sexual harassment allegations made against him by now three women. He apologized, but said he never meant to make anyone feel uncomfortable. He also said his, quote, usual custom is to kiss and hug and he refused to resign. Joining me now is NBC News correspondent Ann Thompson. So Ann, break down what he said and, and the likelihood of it cooling things down given how much criticism and fire he's been taking for the last week now. Uh, Katie, Andrew Cuomo was very contrite in this press conference. He tried to explain his side of these very serious allegations by talking about his intention as he did the things he is accused of doing. That involves unwanted touching, unwanted kissing, and uncomfortable remarks to those three younger women. He was, um, he, as I said, he talked about his intention, what was going through his mind 
mind as he did these things, which he says he didn't realize was wrong. Here's a soundbite from the governor. I fully supported anyone inappropriately. Now, that, as you said, Katie, there have been several calls for the governor to step down even while an independent investigator looks into the charges brought by these three women. The governor said he would not do that, but it, this, this press conference is not doing much to change people's minds. There was a state senator on with Chuck who said that uh, the governor's press conference just absolutely reiterated his belief that the governor has to step down. New York is a state that that is coming out of a pandemic. A budget needs to be done. There are many issues on on in front of the state, and the question is, can the governor lead on those? Does he still have not just the political authority, but the moral authority to lead on those while he is investigated for sexually harassing three younger women? Katie? You know, I've just been talking to somebody who is close to the family and I asked them, you know, given the moment that we have been living in for the past two years, given um, how everyone has had a reckoning with this Me Too moment, why would somebody like like Governor Andrew Cuomo, who is a savvy politician, not have buttoned things up, not have gotten the message uh, to, to be careful about what he said around his staffers, around others? And the person said it's not that he didn't think the rules didn't apply to him. It's just that's in the Cuomo DNA. They are extraordinarily friendly, um, I guess, by nature. Ann Thompson, and thanks so much for, for joining us today. We appreciate it. Yeah, in the last four days, I checked uh, closed captioning transcripts. Last four days, MSNBC has talked about abortion three times as much as Fox. So, Bill, in the wake of this story be being confirmed, Fox has sort of moved away from it and there's focus on it from left-wing media. Well, that's the thing. They, the Fox and the whole right-wing media do not want to ever acknowledge that they're wrong, ever. Their audience will not accept that. They'd never acknowledge that they're wrong. And in this case, you had an attorney general in, in Ohio who couldn't do the same work that a local reporter did. Mm -hmm. He said he couldn't find a scintilla of evidence that there was something going on, despite the power that he had. So they put him on to, to spout this, and it really speaks to the idea that mm. Everybody shoots from the hip now. There was no thought involved in that. They didn't bother saying, well, this case, could this possibly be true? They automatically suspected the timing and went after it, even though if you looked at the record, 50 cases in Ohio last year of this exact situation of a young girl who had been raped who had an abortion. Well, that's, that's amazing. Thing. That's the thing, Bill. Conservatives say, some conservatives say, ah, the pro-abortion media picks out the worst cases, the most horrible crimes, in order to make the argument for, for all, uh, all abortion all the time. But actually, this is not a rare case. Not Unfortunately, rare. it's not a rare case. And, uh, and the folks who wanted it to seem like a hoax, they just may not want to face the reality of what these laws say. A month ago, five reactionaries, reactionaries in robes, decided that we don't have constitutional right to an abortion. In so doing, they showed us that they're willing to eliminate our freedom to make a decision about our own bodies. And the Dodds v. Jackson Women's Health decision imposes the will of five unelected religious extremists upon nearly 330 million people. I want to share a little story with you because when we think of this whole issue of abortion, we have a tendency to think of 
the young child that gets raped prays God that he will protect her and help her to overcome her trauma. Uh, a young woman going through her reproductive years. But I had a conversation with someone I worked with very closely for the last seven years who told me at the age of 62, she was still having a period and was still sexually active with grandchildren. And she said, what if I got pregnant? There's no way at 62, I would have been in a position to really be a healthy mommy to a new baby. And so not only is this impacting the decisions of young women and the protection of young girls and others who've been assaulted and raped, but it also impacts the decision of fully adult women who have this story to tell. You know, but what they did with Roe v. Wade, it only scratches the surface of all the damage that this court has done to our country just recently, I mean recently this term. In just one month, it declared gun violence prevention legislation unconstitutional, rolled back Miranda rights, and weakened the separation of church and state. The legal reasoning in the Dobbs decision, which cites a 17th century jury. Overdrive to clean up loose ends. November 16, 2016, two weeks after Donald Trump's victory, Joe Biden is on the phone with Poroshenko. His voice tenser now than before. This is getting very, very close. What I don't want to have happen, I don't want Trump to get into position where he thinks he's about to buy onto a politics where the financial system is going to collapse and he's going to be looked to to pour more money into Ukraine. That's how he'll think about it before he gets sophisticated enough to know the details. In other words, Biden does not want Ukraine asking for more money from Trump. Doing so would cause Trump to look into the details. So anything you can do to push the, the, the Pravada Bank uh, um, to closure so that the IMF loan comes forward, I would respectfully suggest is critically important to your economic as well as physical security. Critically Do you have comment on what just happened? Everybody needs help, and I'm here to help. And welcome back to Flower Politic Podcast, episode 615. It is the 18th, or excuse me, 19th of July, year of our Lord, 2022. And I love that intro. This is the woman that said she was a firefighter. Then she's carrying all the comments for Cuomo on MSDNC. And even the people there are shocked. The 62-year-old abortion. Chris getting chased off. And that Biden conversation. We impeached the president for that. But, you know, hey. Today we're going to do a different type of show. Um, I got some stuff I want to cover up front. Then we're going to do a conservative point of view. All right? New bumper and everything. We do conservative point of view. Uh, but I wanted to tell a funny story. Today, I decided I was going to go and, uh, you know, road march off-road. So I went to the FLS, which is a field landing strip that I've been marching next to. It's where I park my car. And then I walk two and a half miles down, two and a half miles back. 
And I got on the trail, and I downloaded on my phone a map, and there's supposed to be this trail, and it's going to loop all the way back around. I'll come back on the hardball I come to, and it doesn't exist. So I bush brush for a mile. My legs, because those are shorts, are cut up, like beyond repair. During the trek across, I put my phone in my pocket, but I don't, so my earbuds stop working. And I realized I don't have my phone. I got to back up. And the only thing that saved me is the screen was on. And I saw it on the trail I was on and that I made, you know, through this bush. About waist-high bush I'm cutting through. And as I bend over, my earbud falls out and rolls down into a ravine. And I have to dig through bramble bushes to get my earbud, which once again had a blue flashing light that saved me. So... It was a fun morning, five and a half miles, and I regret every bit of it. Just, I'm sticking to the roads. From now on, I shall road. The road, as David Spade would say, is where I shall go. So, um, since we start with hypocrisy on a level you just wouldn't believe, um, I wanted to go first with... Muriel Browser. Now, if you remember a couple months back, they decided in Texas to go, fuck you, we're going to send these motherfuckers to you. Because you don't have to deal with all these illegals, which now hit 3.5 million interactions in two years. We'll hit four before it's over. Because they get taught by liberal groups. They're telling them what's going on and what's the Republicans take over. We're going to change some shit. And She had the audacity, because remember, the media mocked it as it was a stupid idea and politics, and this is dumb, to come on Face the Nation and say this. The uh, Washington Post reported last week that homeless shelters in D.C. were filling up um, and groups were getting overwhelmed by these buses that the governors of Texas and, and Arizona are sending here full of migrants. How significant is this influx? How many people? Well, this is a very significant issue. Um, We have for sure called on the federal government uh, to work across state lines to prevent um, people from really being tricked uh, into getting on buses. Uh, we, we think they're largely asylum seekers uh, who are going to final destinations that are not Washington, D.C. Uh, I worked uh, with the White House to make sure that FEMA provided a grant to a local organization um, that is providing services to folks. Um, but I fear that they're being uh, tricked into nationwide um, bus trips when their final destinations are places all over the United States of America. What in the actual fuck? What do you think it's like for red states that you're dumping these motherfuckers in? And now this, these are the policies you want. Or is it they're peeling away and blacks and people of color are now going to the right And, oh, I don't want those motherfuckers. They're not potential voters anymore. Fuck that. And then the next thing, the last podcast, I beat up on the two freaks that are now representative. And they're freaks. I'm sorry. You can do that, but you can't be a representative of America. You just can't. I don't care what you say. Once again, you can't have your religion, which is LGBT and fucking CRT for you people. You can't take that out in the world and represent America. That's not what we do. 
Well, he was all over the TV, and even though he's not qualified for anything, and he totally looks like a dude, this is the shit he said about kids again. And, and they think this is a winning strategy, but they really don't know America. You're the first openly transgender official confirmed by the United States Senate. In a recent op-ed, you urge people to base medical decisions and public statements on real data and compassion rather than slander. And you spoke to trans youth in Florida recently. Tell us what you told them. Well, you know, it, it, trans youth are, are vulnerable, um, and they suffer significant harassment and bullying, uh, sometimes at schools or in their community. They have more mental health issues, but there's nothing inherent with being transgender or gender diverse, which would predispose youth to depression or anxiety. It is that harassment and bullying. Now they're suffering politically motivated attacks through state uh, actions against these vulnerable transgender youth. This is not based upon data. This is these are these are, these actions are politically motivated. And so we really want to to to, to base our treatment and uh, and to uh, affirm and to uh, support and empower these youth not to limit their participation in activities and sports and even uh, uh, limit their ability to get gender affirmation treatment in their state. So we really want to to to, to base our treatment and and, uh, and to uh, affirm and to uh, support and empower these youth, not to limit their participation in activities and sports, and even uh, uh, limit their ability to get gender affirmation treatment in their state. What a credible source! That which is asserted without evidence can be dismissed without evidence that said levine's claim is at best inaccurate and misleading and grounded in politics and ideology not cold hard data levine is not an expert on development or neuropsyche nor anything he's just a dude that wears a dress and he half-asses his um i'm a chick sorry my ass is sore i'm lost so much weight my ass hurts all the time i try these pillows but yeah, it ain't gonna work so that that shit's criminal and that it's coming from the head of our country just crushes me so um for our conservative well let's play the sound bite let's do our new uh conservative angle Mitch McConnell recently told us that the most important thing in the world is to vanquish Vladimir Putin. Now, I'm sorry, you know, like you don't have to be, I'm not a Putin defender, despite what you may have heard. <laughs> I don't really care one way or the other because he's not my president. He doesn't preside over my country and what he does in Ukraine, well, I think historically significant, certainly significant to Ukrainians, is not more significant to me than what gas costs. In fact, it's not even in the same universe. The so it's been a while since we brought you an update from National Public Radio, our state media, but rest assured we've been listening every day so that you don't have to. Now you might think that energy prices, the stock market, the impending worldwide food shortage, the threat of nuclear war with Russia might be something a national news organization would cover, but not at NPR. NPR is always focused on the bigger issues, the ones that matter. Issues so grave we couldn't even invent them if we wanted to because we lack the imagination. 
This, for example, is an actual segment that aired on NPR last month. Listen. Many people who are queer, whether they are trans or some other form of genderqueer or whatever it is, we love dinosaurs. Along with being a dinosaur expert, Riley is herself transgender. And according to Riley, there is a whole community of genderqueer dinosaur enthusiasts online. We had no idea. So we checked it out. Sure enough, they're there. We found dozens of paleo artists online that identify as queer. Type dinosaur into the LGBT subreddit. Hundreds of results with pride dinos, rainbow dinos, dino moms, dino dads, and a lot of puns. Like Allysaurus. Transceratops. Oh, the Transceratops. Now, at first we thought we knew where the segment was going to go. Trans dinosaurs. So transgenderism isn't something that appeared out of nowhere. Bigot. It dates back to the Jurassic era, the Transceratops. But that's not actually where NPR went with it. Sadly, there would be no David Attenborough documentary on non-binary two-spirit T-Rexes. Instead, the segment turned, as all NPR segments inevitably do, towards self-love and its twin, self-pity. To see, you know, our social enemies, for lack of a better term, taking, you know, these symbols and trying to use it as their dog whistle, it was something where it's just like, wait, where is this even coming from? This makes zero sense. And also dinosaurs are ours. I hate to speak for the entire trans or genderqueer community, but like, no, we've already been wondering about them and drawing them and interested. No matter who you are, if you see something beloved taken over by someone else, that can be hard. Suddenly, genderqueer fans of dinos everywhere felt under attack as TERFs kept dropping the emoji into their feeds. <laughs> it's also crazy that you might be tempted to dismiss it, but what it really is is what everything that side believes is, which is a species of narcissism. Dinosaurs are, dinosaurs are ours. They belong to us, says the trans dinosaur expert complaining about, quote, something beloved being taken over by someone else. Now, again, some might call that an example of projection, since when did dinosaurs belong to the trans community? Dinosaurs are everyone. But it makes sense, actually, because it's NPR. By appropriating pterodactyl emojis, the other side is basically killing dinosaurs all over again. That's how much harm they're causing. An extinction. We'll stay on the story, by which we mean we'll keep listening to NPR. At the moment, the dinosaur lobby has been decolonized we will let you know old tucker was all over media there like 10 or 12 stories about things he said and they didn't like what he said and he's a bad person they just have a hard time dealing with facts they get in the way so for other common perspective we're gonna uh, gut filled talking uh, Mario Bartomololo has been on fire lately, and I know these are brief little tidbits, but you know, I think it's important that I, I play so much negative lefty shit on this show, but I really don't play a lot of conservative perspectives, and we need to have more. On the other side of that, we're going to go into our media bump. It'll be our jerk-off of the day. And in that, you're going to see hate up front. Cross, um, Nance, Wallace. They're not happy people.
I wouldn't lie. I wouldn't lie. Well, happy magical Friday, everyone. Neil Cavuto's off tonight, and I'm Pete Hegseth. <laughs> I kid. I'm so much better looking. But what a great show we have for you. It's almost so good, I almost don't want to share it with you. But I will, because I'm a giving person. Just ask the nurses at the blood bank. Sometimes I'll even donate my own. Now, there's been a lot of talk about who the Democratic nominee should be for 2024. We aren't even halfway through this term, and they already want to bail on Joe. It's the only bail Democrats support. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. But, but can you blame them? His favorability rating is two points ahead of rheumatoid arthritis and three points below anal warts. Seems like that should be reversed, but anyway. But that doesn't seem fair to Joe at all. He's got the experience. He's got the look. You could say he has the human touch, right? Ask any 15-year-old girl whose shoulders he rubbed like he's a prize fighter or had her hair sniffed like he's huffing Pantene Pro-V. <laughs> huh. But instead, you see Dems circling him like seagulls above a fishing boat, ready to pounce on anything the crew throws overboard. Gavin Newsom just visited D.C. He brought a tape measure. Not for the White House drapes, but a coffin for Joe. Gavin always masks up when he visits Joe's office. He takes it off once he's sure that there isn't a dead body in there. So disgusting. But like my wife and that homeless musician she invited to live in our attic, they aren't even hiding it anymore. <laughs> They're like your worst relatives who know you're rich and have a weak heart, and suddenly they're mailing you boxes of Omaha steaks, cases of Red Bull, and keep sneaking up behind you at family functions with an air horn. <laughs> but here at Gutfeld, we say no. Like Brian Kilmeade's breath, the Biden name is too strong to ignore. <laughs> ah, oh, so now you're on his side. <laughs> Which is why I'm saying it's time to support Biden 2024. That's right, Biden 2024. Roll the Nexio. That's right, forget Joe, it's time for Hunter. After all, Joe says Hunter is the smartest guy he knows, so it stands to reason he'll be an improvement. You think I'm kidding? But hear me out. There's a ton of reasons why Hunter would make a great president. First of all, unlike most politicians, Hunter can't be blackmailed. Seriously. Seriously. What if some foreign agent approaches him and says, Mr. President, we have video of you masturbating. Hunter would probably reply, Fine. But do you have one from this angle? Or this angle? How about this? I can get you high def if you like. Of course, most presidents have first ladies, and they always have some crusade that keeps them busy and it never works. Remember how Michelle Obama tackled childhood obesity? I didn't think kids could get any fatter. But Hunter, you know, instead of, instead of a first lady, he'll have first ladies of the evening. 
How fun would it be to see him slow dancing at the inauguration with an Eastern European in pumps, short shorts, and a belly shirt, while eight more dressed similarly are lounging in the grotto that used to be the Lincoln bedroom. The, and even better, the guy knows business. If anyone can, this guy could pay off the national debt. Hell, his paintings are worth a half mil a pop. He could pump out 400 of those a month right out of his nose. <laughs> he also knows creative accounting as well. Prostitutes as, as a medical service? I mean, I need to switch doctors. <laughs> Although his advisors are going to want to be very specific with Hunter when they bring up inflation. <laughs> but he can also tackle the drug crisis. Who better to deal with drug cartels than someone who has their direct number? <laughs> And remember, did you see him thoughtfully weighing the crack in front of the hooker? No, I just weighed out the bag. It's 2.06. 2.07 without the bag. So how long is how 2.0. Hunter's the only guy that does drugs wearing a GoPro. But <laughs> you saw how precise he was. Finally, here's a politician interested in lowering all drug prices. <laughs> Plus, you want transparency? This guy is naked 100% of the time. <laughs> Hunter has his clothes off so much that when he wants to go swimming, he has to add clothes. <laughs> and what's the most important question for a president? Will you be awake at 3 a.m. to take the phone call? Congressman, there were signs that Joe Biden was declining during the 2020 campaign. I mean, let's face it. He stayed in the basement the whole time during, during the campaign. Mm -hmm. um, so who knew what when? Are they hiding this? And, and feeding him drugs to, to, to allow him to function. I know he goes home to Delaware a lot more than any other president. So I guess my question is, what did Obama know? What did Jill Biden know? And who's running the White House right now? And are they covering up for these uh, mental uh, issues? Well, that's the big question everybody's asking. Who's really pulling the strings? Who's running the country right now? We don't really know the answer to that. We don't know if it's Susan Rice or Ron Klain or if it's Jill Biden or who it is, but somebody else is doing this. They're doing exactly what you said. They're rolling him out at specific times during the day. He's got good days and bad days, good, uh, you know, and, and whether or not they have him on drugs, I don't know. There are drugs out there that can increase your alertness and your memory and things of that nature, you know, and cover st stuff like this up temporarily. So I'm sure some of that's going on as well, but we don't know because his physician hasn't stood up and took the questions that I took when when I was Trump's physician and answered those questions with regards I am a Republican, the media jerk off of the week. So hot. We must wonder, will this democracy survive? Well, a Yahoo News poll says no. 
But perhaps when you build a nation on stolen land with stolen labor, it was never going to be a republic we could keep. You know, you better look in your heart and determine whether you're a real American and you believe in the oath and you believe in what this nation stands for. Or, you know, plenty of room in Russia. Yeah, yeah. And their participation in America has nothing to do with the 245 years of democracy that they had. We have, we have had. They would rather do away with yeah. that 245 years and impose a dictator, you know, King yeah. Donald the First. And it was uh, honestly, quite frankly, a democracy already flawed for a lot of a lot of us. Uh, sure. I think, uh, you know, but that affirmative action. You know who the biggest mm. uh, beneficiary is of affirmative action? White yeah, women. white women. You know, exactly. Just when it, it gets taken to the streets. You know, I mean, one side far out armed, it's far out, out armored um, compared to the rest of us. And I do think that we could see droves of political violence um, happen just like we saw on January 6th, particularly when you think about those state legislatures that are not as protected as the U.S. Capitol. I think it's kind of utterly ridiculous to even call him a hero. I This is my job, to show up here and host this show every Saturday. I'm not a hero for doing so. Mike Pence is not a hero for doing his job. It's quite utterly uh, ridiculous, to be honest. Um, yeah. I think the question, though, that we all want to know, because when I was looking at these images, I realized that these were billions of galaxies and yeah, stars that we're seeing. Right. And so it seems ridiculous that we would think we're the only life Absolutely. here. There yeah. has to be right. somebody else. And if there is somebody else, if you know about some secret planet that you're trying to keep for yourself and not tell us, <laughs> like, let me know, because well, we're planning our escape route in this country right now, I tell you. Um, the lieutenant governor of Florida, or of Georgia, rather, was on another network this week and was asked would he support Herschel Walker, um, and he said, I strongly support a Republican representing Georgia in the Senate. They don't care. They will take an idiot if they can make him their puppet and put him in the Senate, which is dangerous for us. Now, to your point about um, your, your great-grandfather who served his country, I think a lot of the black soldiers who joined the army, hoping that would gain them some respect in this country they were defending, found that white supremacy was diff more difficult. My next guest recently returned from Ukraine. Malcolm Nance joins me now. I'm so happy to have him here. His new book is absolutely fascinating. You have to go out and read this book. It's called They Want to Kill Americans, the Militia terrorist and deranged ideology of the Trump insurgency. Malcolm, I'm so happy <laughs> that you are you. here and safe, my friend, <laughs> safe. At least for a week. Well, we're going to keep you safe as long as possible. Okay. I have to ask first about your time in Ukraine. You know I was so worried about you over yeah. there, and I'm happy that you're here back with us. Well, I'm glad to be back here. And there were some, there were some times where you should have worried. Really? You know, yeah. I'm Can glad, you tell us about those my times? Ma's not around to see all that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it is a war. Mm -hmm. And we do have several hundred Americans who are part of the International Legion for the Territorial Defense of Ukraine, the unit that I'm part of that combat unit, which we do have a front line. Everyone we're facing is Russian. Uh, we do get routinely bombarded. Uh, we routinely fight. And, um, but we have to hold that line because what's behind us is what's most important. That's the innocent men, women, and children yeah. of Ukraine. And we're there with almost 900,000 other people holding 3,000, you know, it's about 2,500 kilometers of war front against Russia. So did you actually engage in combat, physical combat over there? Well, I'm, I'm part of the intelligence apparatus. I run okay. the battalion's intelligence apparatus. I haven't actually fired my firearm at a Russian, okay. but uh, I carry a firearm every day. Uh, we do get bombarded. We do actually send uh, you know, artillery back. 
uh, it's a it's a stalemate sort of war. Uh, when the war goes more kinetic, of course, because I'm part of the command team, uh, we have to be prepared to fight. So we're constantly at range. We're constantly doing it. And very few of the actual Ukrainian army are engaged in face-to-face -face warfare outside of the trenches. And those few, you know, maybe 10,000 or more uh, who might be in that active fight are in these strategic pockets, like the Severodonetsk pocket that we just had, the battle for Lysychansk. And we had Legion members fighting down there. Uh, but for the most part, the line is being held in order to wear the Russians down, to attrit the Russians. And then we suppose that there will be probably a major offensive. And at that point, will be a foot mobile or vehicle mobile infantry combat force. That all sounds very uh, frightening, um, the war happening in Ukraine. I wonder um, what a war here in this country might look like. Uh, and that's what your book is essentially about, because you just faced off with people who were trying to kill Americans. You are coming home to people who you say are also trying to kill Americans. Tell me who you're talking about when yeah, you say that. And, you know, I juxtapose my time in Ukraine as, the, the, as that being the Eastern theater in the defense of global democracy. And every once in a while, I hear what's going on back in the States. I Take a look at my Twitter feed. I look over my shoulder at the Western Wall in the defense of democracy mm. here in the United States, and it's collapsing. Yeah, it appears to be collapsing. We have, uh, you know, when I predicted this on November 6, 2020, when I was on real time with Bill Maher, mm -hmm. and everybody was saying, "Kumbaya, time to shake hands, time yeah. to understand what they re really want," and I said. I'm seeing something completely different. I'm seeing an insurgency form. Yeah. And that is a campaign to destabilize the sitting government. And 62 days later, the first strike of that insurgency would happen, which was the insurrection here at the Capitol. And insurgency is a long-term campaign. It's not a one-day thing. And you've seen since that time, they have been pushing their campaign both politically and threats of paramilitary and personal action. You know, it's really frustrating when, when people, uh, we were talking in a commercial break about people saying, you're saying we're trying to kill people and we're not. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's important to show people, no, actually you are. Uh, one of the, during one of the hearings of January 6th, we heard from two black women, mm. patriots, doing their job, trying to help people register to vote, make sure the process goes smoothly. Their lives have been upended by people attacking them uh, in Georgia. I want you to take a listen to their testimony and mm. then we'll talk about it on the okay. A lot of threats. Um, wishing death upon me, um, telling me that, you know, I'm, I'll be in jail with my mother and saying things like, be glad it's 2020 and not 1920. I get nervous when I have to give my name for food orders. I'm always concerned of who's around me. I've lost my name and I've lost my reputation. I've lost my sense of security. I mean, that's the face of what's on the other side of people making these kind of threats. So when people say, you're saying these things, that is what it looks like. You know, what's absolutely fascinating to me is that you, you know, as I listen to the communications, the chat rooms internally of the Trump supporters, and now what I see in my Twitter timeline of them saying, how dare you say all Trump supporters are like this? Well, that building right over there was besieged by 40,000 people who were at mm -hmm. that rally. 10,000 engaged towards the police, you know, as many as 10,000, they believe, actually compressed up there. And as many as 2,000 entered the building. You could see there were thousands of people engaged in combat. But they believe that nothing they did was violent. 
Nothing they did posed any threat to anyone. The firearms that they were secreting or were planning to bring over as part of their quick reaction forces are not the threat. But to them, their firearms are benign. And us demanding our rights, these women doing their day job, just helping the wheels of democracy run, their weapons are an inherent threat to your life. So when they march with them, it's not showing that right. you have Second Amendment rights. It's that you're saying, my Second Amendment rights can kill you mm -hmm. at any time. I own firearms. They never leave the gun safe. These guys want to protest with them. They want to bring it out. And like the one guy said out in Oregon, which I think is emblematic of the entire thing, when can we start using our guns? Mm -hmm. When can we start killing people? They view these as hammers that they need to use now, immediately, and to keep brandishing so that you, the average 65% of America that didn't vote for Donald Trump, would understand that if you don't do what they say, they will use that hammer against you. The title of my book, They Want to Kill Americans, is quite clear who the they are. It's your neighbors, mm -hmm. people who you may not suspect, who believe in some of the crazy QAnon ideology, but believe that the election was stolen simply on the word of their tribal chief, Donald Trump. And their participation in America has nothing to do with the 245 years of democracy that they had, we have we have had. They would rather do away with yeah. that 245 years and impose a dictator, you know, King yeah. Donald the first. And it was honestly, quite frankly, a democracy already flawed for a lot of a lot of us. Sure. Uh, I think uh, you know. But something interesting you say. Who is they? It's your neighbors. I thought about that when I saw Charlottesville right. and when you saw the Tiki Torch marchers. You know, I'm like, all those men went back to the cubicle next to you. Went back to right. seeing patients. Went back to wives. Went back to raising children. Went back to educating our children. Um, we saw uh, a group of men try to kidnap the governor of Michigan. Mm -hmm. You know, I think people forget about those things. And so when you talk about the day trying to kill America, I'm curious your thoughts after having defended democracy all over the globe. What is the future of our democracy here at home? Well, you know, I really believe, you know, I'm a Philadelphian. I'm an originalist on mm -hmm. this thing. I'm offended, deeply offended, when I see people use the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution of the United States, to justify trying to invent a world that is strictly limited to one ethnic group in the United States. These are the same, you know, I'm talking about, you know, Trump supporting Caucasian voters. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, but that's who your demographic is. Yeah. You know, if I were to do an intelligence analysis from for MI6, you know, that's precisely how it would read. Yeah. Right. No one's you're not fooling anybody here. The problem is, is that they feel that their position within society over the last 245 years, their current, you know, uh, strength and how strongly they feel about Donald Trump gives them an advantage that should wipe out all equality in America. They want to remove the words diversity from America. They want to remove the words equality from government documents. This is what we fought for. Mm -hmm. When my great-great-grandfather and his brother ran away from slavery, their first thought wasn't, oh, let's go up the Mississippi and get jobs. It was, let's go to Tennessee, get into the U.S. Army uniform yeah. and fight for what little incremental progress we can make. But they weren't fighting just for black slaves who had run away. They were fighting for all America. My family serves for all America. Mm -hmm. I still serve for America by giving you this warning. But if you're a real American, you'll look at yourself and say, Hey, wait, wait a minute. Right. Am I part of this? Am I am I here to use the Constitution as a fig leaf yeah, and absolutely. tear away all the rights from your 
other fellow citizens. Look at yourself, right? Stop thinking, now I'm just gonna, you know, I don't like you, you wrote a book about us, I'm gonna intimidate you with my gun. All right, nobody wants to go to the C word, right? Civil war, mm -hmm. nobody. You know, you better look in your heart and determine whether you're a real American and you believe in the oath and you believe in what this nation stands for. Or, you know, plenty of room in Russia. Quote, given that these threats appear to be coming from the GOP base, the silence from Republican leadership is at best tolerance of threatened violence. At worst, it's an approval of such. So. Once you go against Trump and you're fully disavowed from the Republican Party, is that it? Is it as simple as that? It seems like it's worse than that. First of all, Sam, good morning. Good to see you in the good chair Good morning. There. Great to see you. Uh, so uh, secondly, this is not about marginalizing a voice. This is about a deluge of vile voicemails released last week by Congressman Kinzinger, death threats directed at him, his family, his wife, his child. And this comes on the heels of a month ago, a, per, a letter sent handwritten to Adam Kinzinger's house to his wife that he released the public saying, we're gonna take time, but Adam Kinzinger has broken his oath. We're gonna execute him and your son and you. And when Republicans are concerned about threats, they speak out. When Brett Kavanaugh had threats, Kevin McCarthy's on the floor of the house. He was on Fox News tweeting about it. But when Adam Kinzinger reveals these threats, nothing. And the message is clear. We value certain lives, those who are on our team, but those who dare criticize our Donald Trump, our leader, well, violence is at least acceptable if not encouraged. And you said Ruth Ben-Ghiada, an authoritarian expert, these are dangerous times. We have a GOP that is an authoritarian movement that is literally embracing fascist tactics, using violence to acquire or retain political power. It's frightening. Yeah, it's one thing to threaten, I'm not condoning threats, obviously, but one thing to threaten a congressman. But uh, Meredith, you write about um, threats that have been faced by AIDS. Uh, before the break, I, I started discussing your article about the secret informal support group of women who have all gone up against the Trump machine, like Cassidy Hutchinson and Olivia Troy. Tell us about how this group developed and how they have come to support one another. Well, like it was just described that Adam Kinzinger faced, these women have also faced very serious threats. Um, in the course of reporting this story, um, one of the women shared some of the Instagram direct messages that were just the other day recently uh, uh, sent to her, and they were quite disturbing. And these women are on this kind of political island of themselves. They are now rejected by the Republican Party that has so far continued to embrace Trump. And on the left, they are seen as people who continue to enable Donald Trump while they were in the White House and um, are, are just now speaking out. So they're kind of on an island unto themselves. And because of that, they have faced serious threats for coming forward. Um, Cassidy Hutchinson was in touch with Alyssa Farrah Griffin, who uh, she left the, the White House um, in in. Uh, 2020 and Olivia Troy did as well. And when they did, they spoke out and, and they faced some some really um, heinous, if you will, um, public comments about them. And they have struggled to kind of find their footing. So the, this group, this informal network of women formed just to support each other, to, to show each other that they're there and that they really aren't alone uh, as, as they do this. Dean, when, when Adam Kinzinger released those disturbing voicemails, he said, quote, the darkness has reached new lows. Um, I don't know if that's true. Uh, I honestly don't know. You point out things could get darker uh, if the Republican Party continues down this path. What is the 
a, perhaps deeply scary endpoint of the direction the party is going and the threats that people who speak out against Trump face? The endpoint is probably we're, we're living together in Canada, Sam. I mean, let's be honest. It's not isolated. I just want people to understand. These are not isolated threats. You know, it's against anyone who speaks out against Trump. But it's the GOP base. And in my article, I cite polls. Recent poll from CBS, you have almost 60% of Republicans view January 6th as an act of, quote, defending freedom. You have various polls showing a majority of Republicans view January 6th, that terrorist attack, that was an act of domestic terrorism for the FBI, as an act of, quote, patriotism. That should scare everyone. I never call the GOP fascist. I'm not hyperbolic pre-January 6th. And even after January 6th, I thought they would jettison Donald Trump. He literally has an 80% favorability rating right now. You have nearly 60% of the Republican base telling you violence is acceptable to acquire and retain political power. That is the definition of fascism. Madeleine Albright talked about in her great book, Fascism a Warning. It could get much darker. We have to be aware. We need Democrats and the media as well to be calling this out for what it is. It's un-American, it's dangerous, and it is fascism. To play devil's advocate for a second, Dean, um, <clears throat> you know, there are fast, I'm not saying it's fascist, but there are violent threads throughout different elements of the of both parties, less so I would argue than on the Democrats. But of course, Republicans spoke out, uh, rightfully so, I'd argue, about a man who showed up at Brett Kavanaugh's house, right, with a gun sure. and an attempt to kill him. Mm -hmm. um, did the Democratic Party speak out in, sufficiently against that, in your opinion? I think that depends on, on the person. I mean, ultimately, the legislation passed to provide Secret Service more protection for the justices. But we're not talking about leaders. I, I want people to look at the base, the base. If you poll Democrats, they view January 6th as abhorrent. Same thing as independents. We view it as un-American, an attack on our capital. Nearly 60% of the Republican base views that as an act as defending sure. freedom. So let's be clear. It is the base of the GOP that's going that direction. And they always get more extreme, this GOP. They don't suddenly get more reasonable. We're going a dark place. And it's scary to say that, but that's the reality. We've had this faction throughout the United States. It is the ideology of slaveholders, of the Ku Klux Klan, uh, of the John Birch Society, uh, of George Wallace's presidential run. Uh, but what had happened, at least uh, sort of as the conservative movement emerged after World War II as a coherent entity, is that it attempted to align itself with these radicals on the theory that it could contain them, it could bring them into their political coalition, harness their incredibly uh, sort of strong feelings and beliefs, and turn them into votes for basically pretty normal tax cuts and anti-abortion politics and the kinds of things that really animate mainstream conservatives. I, and this worked for a little bit. What happened is that over time, slowly and, and ultimately culminating in Donald Trump, the radicals started to influence the mainstream conservatives. Not the other way around. It wasn't the conservatives controlling the radicals. It was the radicals who had ideas based on their shared hatred for liberalism and uh, sort of the, the, the mainstream of American political society. That they gradually started to resemble each other to the point where the mainstream right was willing to fully capitulate to the radical right if it meant gaining political power. I don't want to turn this into a, a college poli-sci course, but we do have a professor here. <laughs> Ruth, do you, do you agree with the synopsis? And then as a follow, uh, if you do agree with it, I'm wondering, as someone who's studied this stuff, what's the closest historical parallel to the moment we are right in, not, that we are in right now with our democracy? 
So I, I do agree. And in fact, uh, my book is about all these case studies all over the world of uh, when conservatives, uh, like starting with Mussolini and Hitler, conservatives brought these extremists uh, and, and their militias into power, thinking they could control them and ally with them. And then the logic of authority. Joining us now, his opponent, Pennsylvania's attorney general, the Democratic nominee for governor, Josh Shapiro. Um, I, I, I noted years ago, I kept saying the bottom is calling and wants to know if we're there yet, that there is no bottom. But this association with Gab is particularly abhorrent. Explain. Yeah. It is. And I think you've noted the fact that there really doesn't feel like there's a bottom right now. You've also connected the dots time and time again, Nicole, between extremism and those who are leading the modern day Republican Party. And Doug Mastriano is exhibit A of that. Let, let's break down what he's doing here in his campaign for Pennsylvania governor. He paid thousands of dollars for anti-Semitic, racist, alt-right extremists to be a part of his campaign for governor. He is the only politician in America, state or federal, paying for followers on this website, on Gab, which is obviously known as a haven for white supremacists. These are the people that Doug Mastriano is making part of his campaign for governor of Pennsylvania. I mean, it speaks to a sickness in the Republican Party, but the fact that he won the nomination. The fact that it is so vibrant is a problem that you'd have to deal with if you prevailed. How do you deal with that? Well, we do have a cancer in our politics today, particularly those leading the modern day Republican Party. What we need to do is defeat it. And the way we do that is to defeat them at the polls. That's why I'm working as hard as I am to beat Doug Mastriano. I think what's important is to note the coalition that he is trying to build here. Again, paying for these people to be part of his campaign. And for those who are not familiar with Gab, understand how this works. It's much like Facebook or, or Twitter. He posts something, that's Mastriano. And then because he is paying Gab, all of these white supremacists are sent to his posts. So he'll post something. And then these are the kind of responses that the man running for governor as the Republican nominee gets. I actually jotted some of these down. I want to read them to you. These are the words Please. of Doug Mastriano's supporters on his own gab post. Jews are a cancer on society. That's what one of his supporters wrote. Another wrote, good people must fight evil Jew filth. That's what one of his supporters wrote in response to Doug Mastriano. And then they also wrote, it's time for Jews to face the great replacement, obviously referencing this white nationalist conspiracy theory. Those are just three of hundreds of posts. Now, importantly, Doug Mastriano never contradicts that. He never speaks up and says those anti-Semitic or racist or alt-right extremist posts have no place in his campaign. Instead, he's embracing them. He's bringing them into his campaign. He's making them part of what he sees as a vision for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. He is dangerous, he is extreme, and he must be defeated. We spoke on um, July 5th, right after the 4th of July holiday, when he had out and proud three percenters at his 4th of July parade. I wonder why he continues to be so brazenly 
in the grip of something so unpopular with the mainstream, not just in America, but in Pennsylvania? Because this is who he is. And this is mm -hmm. the way he propelled himself to victory in a contested primary. And this is who he believes makes up the core base of his campaign. Understand that he is running to a website to seek supporters for his campaign that the Tree of Life killer used. The person who went into a synagogue in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and murdered 11 people as they worshiped. Before that killer went into that shul, he posted on Gab the same filth that Doug Mastriano and his supporters are posting on Gab today. He posted that filth, that anti-Semitic filth, and then went in and murdered those Jews who were there worshiping. These are the people that Doug Mastriano, the Republican nominee for governor, is surrounding himself with. This is who he believes is gonna propel him to victory. Nicole, this is very, very dangerous. He's the only politician in America doing it, and he's doing it here in Pennsylvania. Are you sure he's going to fail? Are you sure that you can beat him, that you will beat him? Nicole, I'm working my tail off. Anybody who knows me knows that. I was in Beaver County just a, a bit ago. I was in Western Pennsylvania for the last couple of days. I'm in Southeastern Pennsylvania this weekend. I'll be all over the Commonwealth again next week. And what we are seeing are huge crowds, Republicans, Democrats, independents, showing up to hear us and join our campaign because they recognize the danger of what's on the other side. Nicole, I was in Milford, which is in northeastern Pennsylvania, in a backyard of a neighbor who opened up their backyard to us for folks to hear about our campaign. And I looked out in the crowd, you know who was out there? Former Homeland Secretary, Homeland Security Secretary, Michael Chertoff, who served mm. under George W. Bush. He came to hear me speak. And afterwards, he and his wife came over to me and offered their support. Um, wow. We are seeing our coalition build, Republicans, Democrats, and independents, in part, of course, because of my vision for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, creating opportunity, defending our freedoms, but also in part because they recognize just how dangerous Doug Mastriano is. I am confident we will win this race. I'm also very mindful of the fact that here in Pennsylvania, races are close. And so we cannot mm -hmm. let up, we won't let up, and we need people to join our big, broad coalition here. Pennsylvania Attorney General Josh Shapiro, thank you very much for spending some time with us today. We're really grateful. Thank you, Nicole. So to counter all that just straight hate, morning spew, Minister, uh, or sorry, it was a morning spew and the Minister of Truthful Fluffy Pickles. Buy them economy tips. Your child's pet fish just died. Don't flush it. Have a seafood dinner. And there's this huge thread, if you look it up, it is just people making fun of it. Uh, Bino economy tips. Take all the sugar jelly packets, even the ketchup and mustard containers. If you have room in your bag, briefcase or purse, they're free. Buy an electric car big enough for a family to sleep in. And it just goes on and on and on. And then my favorite, and I'm not going to post slides today, um, the Biden challenge, people are going back to the intersection he fell, and they're falling. I mean, they're so crazy. Jeff B., 
I live long enough to see Madison Woke Alt Week Weekly pan Weird Al Yankovic for ill-advised humor at his concert. Apparently, I kid you not, after Charlottesville and won six songs like My Baby's In Love With Eddie Vedder hit a bit too close to home and they panned Weird Al. Comedy. Comedy is bad, they say. AP Stylebook actually gets it right for once with his guidance on assault weapons. The style weapon entry offers guidance on terms including semi-automatic rifle, assault rifle, assault weapon, military-style rifle, and modern sporting rifle. A semi-automatic rifle, assault rifle, assault weapon. The performed term for rifle that fires one bullet each time the trigger is pulled and automatically reloads for a subsequent shot is a semi-automatic rifle. An automatic rifle continuously fires rounds if the trigger is depressed. Avoid assault rifle and assault weapons, which are highly politicized terms that generally refer to AR or AK-style rifles designed for the civilian market but convey little meaning about the actual function of the weapon. Holy shit, they got religion. Isn't that good? That's good. They're so crazy. Blue check. Fuck the left. Blue check blames pro-life peeps for making pro-aborts lose their damn mind. Seems like overturning Roe has truly returned peace and civilian American political disclosure and turn down the temperature just like people who wanted to overturn it would. Well, the pro Boforks are having a temper tantrum and spring lies. Eventually, they'll get to acceptance phase, give it five years or so. And the abortion shit has... My God, here's just a couple rule. Telemundo coming back to it. They're just making shit up i don't even understand this they're they're denying the story they're weaponizing this story this girl had to flee the state because roe versus wade was overturned that's what the right wanted to happen so what exactly are they doing here yeah that's an excellent question steph i don't know what they're doing but i do know is that they thought first that this was uh, they were blaming the media as telling lies, as being fake news when it was actually the truth. And then when they found out it was the truth, and then they transitioned their argument to saying, blaming or saying that the victim or the perpetrator, saying that he should have been in the country because he is illegally here. So, you know, the problem is, though, is that this is exactly what conservatives wanted and they don't really have an answer for it but what they do have is there's a huge debate happening right now in congress and in states around the country and on the campaign trail uh what to do in instances of rape and incest and republicans more and more likely to say that rape and incest should not be an exception and so this is just um you know democrats are continuing to highlight uh, that hypocrisy and that extremism, of course, but also, you know, it raises real life questions for women. Ocultando su rostro, esta mujer quien nos abrió la puerta en la casa donde la policía confirma vive Gerson Fuentes, acusado de violar a una niña de 10 años, se identificó como madre de la menor y aseguró que él es inocente. Usted como madre de la niña piensa que él es inocente. Claro. ¿Y por qué entonces está preso él? 
No sé, pero no quiero hablar la verdad. Noticias Telemundo confirmó con dos personas que la conocen que en efecto ella es la madre de la niña, incluyendo a Daisy Torres, quien asegura que ambas frecuentan un club nocturno en común. Tras ver fotos e imágenes de video grabadas con nuestras cámaras, esto afirmó. ¿Esa es ella? Es ella, sí, correcto. Y usted dice que ella es la mamá de la niña de 10 años que fue violada. Sí, es la mamá de la niña. Dijo además que la señora tiene una relación sentimental con Gerson Fuentes. Es su pareja y es el padre del niño que ella tiene en su vientre ahora mismo. O sea que la señora está en embarazo. Sí. Durante nuestra entrevista exclusiva con la señora que dice que es la madre de la niña, insistimos si Gerson Fuentes, de 27 años, era el violador de la menor. Sin titubeos, respondió. Martha, oh, oh, okay, Martha, let, 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 okay. he abruptly on Friday did He didn't did abruptly that. do anything. He was he negotiating for a while. He sabotaged the president's agenda. No. Uh, look, if you check the record six months ago, I made it clear that you have people like Manchin, Cinema, Cinema to a lesser degree, who are intentionally sabotaging the president's agenda, what the American people want, what a majority of us in the Democratic caucus want. Nothing new about this. And the problem was that we continue to talk to Manchin like he was serious. He was not. This is a guy who is a major recipient of fossil fuel money, a guy who has received campaign contributions from 25 Republican billionaires. You think okay, this guy but, uh, is serious? Senator, I no. want, I, I, okay, you say he wasn't serious, but Manchin says his main goal is to do what's good for West Virginia, and he's worried about inflation. Listen to what he told really, the West Virginia really? radio station. Listen to this, please. Is that And inflation is absolutely killing many, many people. They can't buy gasoline. They have a hard time buying groceries. Everything they buy and consume for their daily lives is a hardship to them. Your reaction to that, Senator? Well, look, the same nonsense the mansion has been talking about for a year. West Virginia, it's a beautiful state. And I've had the pleasure of being there. Great people. It is one of the poorest states in this country. You ask the people of West Virginia whether they want to expand Medicare to cover dental, hearing, and eyeglasses. You ask the people of West Virginia whether we should demand that the wealthiest people in large corporations start paying their fair share of taxes. Ask the people of West Virginia whether or not all people should have health care as a human right like in every other country on earth. That's what they will say. In my humble opinion, you know, Manchin represents the very wealthiest people in this country, not working families in West Virginia or America. And The scary part is we're living this in real time. Last month, the man was charged with the attempted murder of a Supreme Court justice after calling the police on himself for his murderous thoughts and being detained near the home of Justice Brett Kavanaugh. And on July 9th, Seattle police arrested a man, armed man with a gun outside of Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal's home. According to the Seattle Times, a neighbor told police she heard the man shouting, quote, go back to India, I'm going to kill you. And another reported seeing the suspect drive past Jayapal's house three times while shouting profanities. Joining me now is Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal, chair of the Progressive Caucus. Uh, Congresswoman Jayapal, thank you very much for coming back to this to the Sunday show. I am sorry to hear about what happened to you. How are you and your family? Jonathan, thank you. Um, this is the first time I'm talking about this, and I appreciate you having me on to um, to talk about not only what happened to me, but 
the, the connections to exactly what you were just starting the opening with. I am uh, not okay, um, and I'm okay. Mm. I think, you know, this is a scary time for me and for my family. Uh, this man is, uh, the investigation is ongoing, and, and there are still charges that need to be filed, evidence that needs to be collected. But the reality is this was not a coincidence. It is not a coincidence that he targeted a prominent woman of color who has been on the front lines of fighting for a just uh, and equitable society and has been fighting against white supremacy and racism. And I think it is also not, I think it's noteworthy that this was not about a particular vote. If you look at the incredible anger and hatred and, and listen to the tapes, um, because there is some video footage of this or some audio footage of this that the, that the police have, the um, vitriol and hatred that were direct that were directed at me as he screamed so loudly that everybody on our street could hear it and the fact that he has been stalking me for many months as we found out these incidents have mm. been happening over several months we didn't know it was the same person um, but then of course on the night of the incident which just continued to escalate showing up at my house uh, with a gun and screaming about going back to India and, and threats against my life. This man wanted to intimidate me, he wanted to threaten me, he wanted to harm me. And I think it is just important to understand that this violence has been unleashed. It's not that racism and white supremacy haven't existed in our country, Jonathan, you, you know that very, very well. But what has happened is that the person that occupied the White House, the highest office in the land, actually used and unleashed and mobilized all of that violence and white supremacy using the tools of the federal government, using bans on Muslims, bans on uh, trans folks, uh, calling out people to be racist, um, working with the most racist, white supremacist, violent extremist groups, including the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys, and then, of course, using lies and misinformation, disinformation to try to steal an election and stage a coup. So I feel like the violence that's directed particularly at us as people of color and very prominent, uh, outspoken people of color who are fighting for justice in our country is 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 really a consequence mm -hmm. of all of that. So there you have the Bernie and this mansion shit. I won't be surprised he gets fucking killed. I'm being quite honest. They're, they're just fucking losing their shit. So for the media perspective, because uh, Mary Poppins got ganked, NPR has announced a disinformation reporting. Sorry about that. So your tax dollars are still paying for bullshit. That, that's what we're going to do because they believe it's important. And then this week we've got New York Times seizing on Hispanics. The GOP is. Now the GOP is seizing on inflation. You made three events that were lies. 
80 that were lies, but you impeached them twice and you made up Russia, Russia. So shut the fuck up. Seems redundant. NPR's new disinformation team gets some tips on where to start. Some great company news are launching disinfo. Seems redundant. Just what journalism needs right now. Countering disinformation is always a job in the news media. You're just trying to lend some sort of fake credibility to the same disinformation team you have. How about going back to yourself when you said we're not even going to give time and breath to the Hunter Biden laptop, which is true. How about that? Eh? Anybody? How about MSNBC? Jill Biden's racist gaffe was cringeworthy, but where were Republicans when Trump? But Trump! Yeah, that'll fix it. Yeah. This stuff, I sometimes just stare at it like, you can't be real. You really can't be real. So we're, we're going to do a trans segment really quick. I know this is kind of a half-assed podcast today. Wasn't a lot going on. Just wanted to put some stuff on the best stuff I could find. So here is a litany of trans abuse bullshit. Hi, families! It's time for a pride parade! Families marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah! Families marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah! This family has two mommies, they love each other so proudly, and they all go marching in the big parade! So what does being non-binary mean to you? teaching you guys some ways that my friends and I meow to one another to communicate when words just seem a little too difficult. So here we go. Okay, so first off we have the normal meow that we just use mostly to get each other's attention. Meow. Okay, then we have the dissatisfied meow. <coughs> then the angry meow, but we only use this one on rare occasions because overall we're a very happy kitten family. <coughs> Then the happy or content meow. Meow. Okay, then one of the most important ones for our kitten family is the I want to go potty meow. It took me a really long time to master this meow because it, it needs to be really specific in order for my kittens to understand. Meow, meow, meow. Okay, this is the most important meow for me, and it's the I need help wiping meow. Okay, and last but definitely not least is our in heat meow and we use this when we need a little bit more special kitten attention, if you know what I mean. Meow. 
Um, yeah. I am an openly queer teacher. Now, I don't stand in front of my elementary students and be like, I like women, but I wear a bi-flag watch band, bi-flag bracelets. In my classroom, I keep a rainbow flag. It's got Mickey Mouse on it because I love Mickey, but it's got a, a rainbow. My kids know what it means. This is me telling them I am a safe place to talk without making a big deal out of being queer. Side note, I shaved the side of my head. Love it! Okay, going back to the main topic. Anyway, so because I am openly queer, my students trust me, especially my queer students. I teach fifth grade this next school year. I've been teaching fourth grade for the last four years. Anyway, right now I'm teaching summer school and I have third graders. Like I said, I wear these bracelets to let them know I'm a safe space. Two students, two third grade students came to me and asked me to use they, them pronouns and also asked me if I could tell other teachers this. I said, kiddos, I would love to do that for you. I'm so glad that you trusted me with this information. One student in particular also asked to use a different name, one that is not gendered as what they were born as. So I gave this information to the other teachers and then got scolded because that was not appropriate for me to communicate, at least not in the form of communication that I used. I used the main form of communication that we had within these groups of teachers. And I hear today, after I have already communicated this with them multiple times, these teachers are still misgendering these students and still using the wrong name for the one who asked for a different name. I don't care what you believe, but when you refuse to respect a queer child's request for pronoun and name changes, you are hurting them. Buckle in, I'm gonna get brutally honest. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Who created these monsters? We did. We birthed them. We nursed them. We read their little nursery rhymes and sing the little songs. We taught them in their preschools and their kindergartens and their first and third grades. White women craft their own gilded cage. And we do it by raising little misogynistic patriarchal tyrants. We raise the little boys who grow up to be the Donald Trumps, the Mitch McConnells, the Greg Locks of this world. White women raised them. Now I hear you on the last sentence. When these little tyrants grow up and abuse us and we speak out about it, yeah, we're gonna be institutionalized. We'll be called crazy. And this hits home personally. One of my grandmothers was institutionalized. And when I look back at her story, I'm convinced she had complex PTSD because of domestic violence. I don't think she was crazy at all. And we could look at her life specifically and see what kind of choices did she really have? I mean, it was her husband, my grandfather, who crafted her fate. But as a whole, white women raise the white boys who grow up to be the tyrants. 
And until we own that fact, it will be a perpetual truth. The truth is, most white women are perfectly fine in the comfort of their gilded cage. Family first, America first, and all that garbage. I don't know how you hoes be doing it. Me personally, if a bitch came to me as a as a woman, I'm coming to her as a bullet. Hi, my name is Leon Silvers. I'm a psychotherapist in New York City, and I also created Drag Therapy. Drag Queen Story Hour in Sesame often get a lot of questions from parents and teachers on how to talk about drag, gender, and identity. So the Dragtivity book is a compilation of those questions put in a way that's fun, educational, and a way that can teach kids about gender, drag, pronouns, and many other different questions. Today, I'm going to read the Dragtivity book as my drag persona, Pink Freud in order to give you an example on how you can use the Dragtivity book in an educational and fun way. Hi, I'm Pink Freud, and I'm going to be reading the Dragtivity book. Hello, dear Dragberries. I am Hella Mella from Says Me. Are you ready for Drag Queen Story Hour? Great. And just like there are so many different kids in the audience, there are so many different types of berries. What kinds of berries are there? That's right, raspberries, blackberries, yeah, blueberries, exactly. When I address the audience as dragberries, I do that because it's not saying boys and girls, which is a binary gender. It's saying that there's all different types of kids, just like there's different types of berries. So it's not just a blackberry and a blueberry, there's raspberries, strawberries, whatever kind of berries, just like there's not just boys and girls, there's boys, girls, and everything in between. What is a drag queen? Is it a type of dragon? 
Is it a ruler of a faraway land? Who has any ideas of what a drag queen might be? So here, you'll ask the audience, what is a drag queen? And you'll get different audience members' responses. And it's important to always affirm and to validate whatever answers they might have. And then afterwards, you can read what the definition is of a drag queen. Drag is when you become your favorite made-up character. And what are some of your favorite made-up characters? I don't know what the natives were thinking when they seen Christopher Columbus. If I seen a random white man come at me out of nowhere, I would not greet them. I would be hostile. Very hostile. Like, who are these people? And why are they brighter than me? Take their skin. Hey, y'all should take that boat back to Europe. Go back home. <laughs> So it's been a while since we brought you an update from National Public Radio, our state media, but rest assured we've been listening every day so that you don't have to. Now you might think that energy prices, the stock market, the impending worldwide food shortage, the threat of nuclear war with Russia might be something a national news organization would cover, but not at NPR. NPR is always focused on the bigger issues, the ones that matter. Issues so grave we couldn't even invent them if we wanted to because we lack the imagination. This, for example, is an actual segment that aired on NPR last month. Listen. Many people who are queer, whether they are trans or some other form of genderqueer or whatever it is, we love dinosaurs. Along with being a dinosaur expert, Riley is herself transgender. And according to Riley, there is a whole community of genderqueer dinosaur enthusiasts online. We had no idea. So we checked it out. Sure enough, they're there. We found dozens of paleo artists online that identify as queer. Type dinosaur into the LGBT subreddit. Hundreds of results with pride dinos, rainbow dinos, dino moms, dino dads, and a lot of puns. Like allysaurus. Transceratops. Oh, the transceratops. Now, at first we thought we knew where the segment was going to go. Trans dinosaurs. So transgenderism isn't something that appeared out of nowhere. Bigot, it dates back to the Jurassic era, the transceratops. But that's not actually where NPR went with it. Sadly, there would be no David Attenborough documentary on non-binary two-spirit T-Rexes. Instead, the segment turned, as all NPR segments inevitably do, towards self-love. First and foremost, that first one is criminal, that little kid. That's just criminal. Then you got Cat Lady. A teacher, if that was my kid's teacher, man, they're not in that school. The white lady and just a litany of freaks with lesson plans. And NPR all in it. I mean, what the, what the actual fuck? Novelist has a message for you transforms. If you don't like inclusive language, think of it as being respectful, using the terms other people prefer, as you would with a nickname. If you still don't like that, well, what you're admitting is that you don't respect other people. No, no. You guys haven't worked it out. You just, you haven't worked your shit out. And the worst part about it, I think... And I forgot this, so two seconds. You've got corporations on it. That's paramount. I like most of their shit. But what the fuck is that? 
You got a Pride logo too? I mean, is everybody at the Pride? Stories. I love that Natalie Portman's boasts new Thor film is the gayest Marvel ever. Articles about Macy Gray and Bette Midler actually being transformed. But then you get these that are just scary. When a quarter of the class identifies as trans. Predominantly female. You're brainwashing people. Friends, I wish we had trans people. Trans thing wasn't a cult then. Jessica Mason Pico. Honestly, if you're a white person who says they're committed to racial justice and you're in good standing with most of your family, I have questions for you, and they're definitely pointed. Full disclosure, I'm in contact with exactly three members of my birth and extended family for this specific reason. Are they committed as you? And it goes on. It's what my daughter did. She just banned us because we're not woke. Rashida Tlaib calls out the New York Times providing a platform for transphobic propaganda. New York Times providing a platform for transphobic hate propaganda with horrifying consequences. Texas just entered New York Times articles and evidence to push for Texas Department of Family and Protective Services. Blah, blah, blah. No opposing views. This week, Dave Chappelle got an Emmy nomination. The cult lost their shit. Ellen Page, IMDb has wiped her out except for the award she won because they have to do it for the name. Ellen. Florida school sex ed for sixth graders describes a girl as people with vulvas. I mean, we... I mean, that's a win because men don't have vulvas, but when will it stop? I'm asking for a friend. I mean, you're supposed to be the party of fucking science. What the fucking fuck? And now everything goes. I'm a proud adult baby who wears diapers, but it's not about sex fetish. And she's an attractive girl. But she's a freak. Gender affirming care saves lives, Glad says. 73 hidden comments and every single one of them is calling BS. Because then they muted it. You pen. Leah Thompson, woman of the year. How? Why? It's a dude. New WHO guidance says gender not limited to male and female. Now they're in the fucking cult. NPR reports on our opponents of vaccine mandates co-opted my body, my choice. My body, my choice is no longer polling well with Democrats because association with anti-vax movement. Fascinating read from Rachel Bluth. You pieces of shit used our talking points. Now go fuck yourself. We don't want it anymore. Not enough censorship. Glad fails big tech platform on LGBTQ safety. Radical LGBTQ plus EIEIO organization Glad published a report giving five major social media platforms failing grade for safety related to LGBTQ plus users. Ironically, Glad complained that big tech is censoring the plus people. And here is the soundbite. 
All right, switching gears now. A new report by the advocacy group GLAAD says 84% of LGBTQ adults feel there are not enough protections on social media to prevent discrimination and harassment. The report says five major social media giants failed when it comes to things like restricting harmful content and offering gender pronoun options on profiles. CBS News has reached out to all five social media platforms. Meta, on behalf of Instagram and Facebook, says they prohibit violent, dehumanizing content directed against people who identify as LGBTQ+. TikTok says they continuously take steps to strengthen protections for marginalized people and communities. Twitter says they welcome GLAD's feedback and the opportunity to better understand the experiences and needs of LGBTQ+ communities. YouTube has not responded. GLAD president and CEO Sarah K. Ellis joins us first on CBS Mornings. Good morning. Thank Good morning. you for bringing attention to this. You know, when we were reading about this, um, I was shocked that one out of four LGBTQ youth has attempted suicide in the last year. Yeah. And this social media environment is contributing to that. What, what can parents do? What can allies do to fight this? Yeah, um, so the environment out there right now is really tough for LGBTQ people, especially our youth. That's a CDC number. So just to give you an idea, the also what's happened this past year is that we've seen over 300 anti-LGBTQ bills at the state level proposed. This is all driven from online. That's where people get together. That's where this hate and discrimination festers. So there's a few things that people can do. One, first and foremost, is unfortunately, and this is why we're doing the report, it's on us. It's on parents. It's on kids. It's on advocacy groups to report it to these big companies. And they all have reporting mechanisms. Number two is I always say that allies should share positive content, the joy for queer people, for LGBTQ plus people. But also really important, like I said, is to report it as well. You know, Sarah, every one of these five major social media companies that you spotlight in the report or GLAD spotlights, uh, they all have policies of protection and inclusion, and yet all of them have failing grades in the report. So where's the disconnect? That's a great question. The big disconnect here is that they do have policy, they don't have enforcement. So it's the wild, wild west. You can say one thing, but a whole other thing is actually happening online. We just saw it last week with Elliot Page, who was targeted online, and her dead, his dead name was used, and you know, videos were surfaced and created and targeted at him. And so we had to get in touch with them. Elliot Page's team had to get in touch with them to stop it or to curb it. And we know they have the tools. We've seen them use the tools to stop it and get ahead of it. But instead, it's all on us, um, the people who are on those platforms and the advocacy groups to report it and to try and get them to stop it. And that's why we did the report in the first place, was to get them to get ahead of this and not come up from behind. What, what are the tools? Yeah, I was like, going to say, you have the tools, they, or you say they have the tools, but they're not using them or are they doing anything right? I guess is the question. Well, I think we saw it and there's been a lot of reporting on it in the 2020 election when all this misinformation was slowed down or stopped um, before the election and then it was rebooted after and it was allowed to go forward after. This is clearly profit over people. Um, so some of the tools are friction. They can slow down the spread of misinformation. They can actually stop it too, the spread of misinformation 
information. And they can see things that are starting to bubble and stop them or divert them based on the tools that they have at their disposal. The, the very tricky thing, though, is that one person's misinformation is another person's free speech. And it's hard to know who to empower to oversee or police that. Congress, the tech platforms, us? What do you think? I th well, I think this is about safety, first and foremost, because what we're seeing, again, where we started, is that this turns into real-world challenges and problems. The 31 white supremacists who were planning on turning up for a peaceful gay pride event or LGBTQ event a couple of weeks ago yeah, during Pride true. Month, yeah. that started online. Mm -hmm. So we have to be really careful, and we do need government intervention here, and we need the right policies. This has been going on over a decade now, and we haven't, you know, Congress has been really, you know, not ineffective to say the best yeah. um, here. And no we need to. No comprehensive legislation at all. Not at all. And we need to start seeing things move forward here. All right. Sarah Kate Ellis, uh, CEO of GLAD, thank you very much for being here. Uh, and the report, Social Media Safety Index, is out now. Appreciate Thanks for it. having me. I tried to get the sound bite for this, but I can't get it to fucking download. But even parents get kicked out of Nashville Middle School meeting for asking questions about what they're doing with their kids. Which is ballsy. There are still kids playing their instruments with masks. And then, of course, everybody heard that we finally moved the transgender chick who was impregnating fucking people. Oh, they're fucking terrible. Judge blocks Biden's admin transgender school bathroom rules again. It happened over Obama. It's happening again. Washington Post changed Freed Zakaria's headline slamming pronouns because even he said this is just going too far. Salem Kaiser School District in Oregon, gender queer book. All the families lost their shit because it's pornographic and we've sh shared it on the show. Well, they said, go fuck yourself. And even when they failed, they don't give up. All Rise got picked up on OWN. It was a failing show with black and black and black and black and gay and shit. It was like a nightmare court Grey's Anatomy. Tennessee can't be forced to allow biological males. Judges ruled on that. Woke scholars call for anthropologists to stop classifying human remains by human remains by gender. Reddit is censoring out groomer. You can't say it anymore. California school district wants to put a fucking Planned Parenthood in a high school. And then finally, Antifa which is a good segue to our crime, how we'll end the show. Antifa summer camp for 10-year-olds being held in Portland, and somehow that just makes sense for Portland. So I don't have a bump for this, but here is crime. We're very thankful for a young 22-year-old man who stopped this violent act. The mayor of Greenville, Indiana on Monday praised an armed citizen who shot dead a gunman inside a shopping mall after the shooter opened fire and killed three people. Chief Jim Eisen said he had no doubt the Good Samaritan's quick actions saved lives. I will say um, his actions were nothing short of heroic. 
Um, he engaged the, the gunman from quite a distance with a handgun, uh, was very proficient in that, very tactically sound. And as he moved to uh, close in on the suspect, he was also motioning for people to exit behind him. Um, he has, to our knowledge, uh, he has no police training and no uh, military background. The city's police chief identified the gunman as 20-year-old Jonathan Sapperman and said he entered the shopping mall in the Indianapolis suburb on Sunday evening armed with three guns and more than 100 rounds of ammunition. The weapons were purchased legally. Eisen said they have found no motive for Sapperman's attack. The most puzzling piece of the, uh, this puzzle is the fact that he was in that restroom for an hour and two minutes. Uh, we believe, uh, and we don't want to speculate, but we believe he was getting ready. He had uh, a waistband holster on with several magazines. Uh, he had a backpack that had a uh, uh, the second assault or second uh, rifle broken down in it so that it would fit in there. Um, several rounds of ammunition. So um, we think that he was kind of preparing for his uh, his his actions uh, during that hour and two minutes. Police said they found what they believe is the suspect's mobile phone in a restroom toilet. At Sapperman's home, they found a laptop placed inside the oven, which was set to a high temperature, along with a can of butane. Both the laptop and cell phone are being sent to the Federal Bureau of Investigation for analysis. The Greenwood Mall attack comes after a series of deadly mass shootings, including at a July 4th parade outside Chicago, inside a Texas elementary school, and one targeting a Buffalo supermarket. So last hour, the mayor of Greenwood, Indiana, praised what he called the heroism of a good Samaritan as we learn new details from police about yesterday's mass shooting at that mall in an Indianapolis suburb. Three people were killed, among them a husband and wife having dinner. Police say the shooter emerged from a food court bathroom and just started unloading the rifle there when a 22-year-old who was lawfully armed intervened. At 5.57 p.m., uh, the shooter was confronted by our Good Samaritan, who I will identify in just a moment. Uh, the Good Samaritan was armed with a pistol and engaged the uh, shooter as he stood outside the restroom area firing into the food court. The shooter fired several rounds, striking the suspect. The suspect attempted to retrieve ba retreat back into the restroom and fail fell to the ground after being shot. A police said that the gunman had a high capacity magazine and had this bystander not intervened when he did so quickly, more people could have been killed. I mean, but are we all supposed to rely on an armed 22 year old? In shouldn't have court? to. We shouldn't have shouldn't to. Shouldn't have to. And this morning, a good Samaritan being hailed the hero after he shot and killed the shooter with his own gun. I heard the gun start pop, 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 pop. I don't know, a good 25, 30 shots and uh, all my, you know, my, couple guys I had up front hit the deck. Police say the heroic 22-year-old man who stopped the shooting was legally carrying a firearm. The real hero of the day is the the citizen that was lawfully carrying a firearm in that food court and was able to stop the shooter uh, almost as soon as he... We're going to continue to show the people and that, yeah, you better fucking listen to your, to your security. Yeah, you better listen to your security. Thank you very much, Portland, Andy. Thank you very much, Portland, Andy. These are all great people. Ain't no way, boy. 
Shapiro, you've spun your last dreidel. convenience store and the one guy's gonna look back and see the other guy's got his face buried in his wallet and looking through all his money and stuff and just decide he wants his wallet he's gonna steal it from him so he grabs it and now our, our victim here's like hey man you can't have my wallet and when the guy's like yeah i'm taking your wallet dude he's gonna step in between them but you notice there that the guy keeps his hand down at his side takes that first punch first one he took pretty well but the second one just knocks him hits him right on the easy button and he is out and now this guy is just gonna absolutely brutalize him we see some knees in the face there and now this guy's just absolutely out of it and the guy's just beating him for spite at this point he's just beating him for ego's sake you can see the employees there those two ladies are just kind of standing there going oh no what do i do and then when he's finally you know satisfied that he's beat the guy enough he takes all the stuff out of his wallet and he runs
they want I mean the kids in the car is just horrible uh, you have the guy who wants to shoot Ben Shapiro you have a hero with the gun and they get pissed I mean they they got pissed about this they're not happy but I wanted to start with this the bodega guy people started to go fund me and once again go fund me took it down but the guy who shot at his people and then was pointing guns at the cops and got killed by a sniper in a standoff yeah he still has his shit that's okay but you can't have a good guy hmm it's interesting that is the hero he will not make national news you will not see interviews with him maybe, maybe they have I, I haven't noticed any interviews um but we live in a two-justice system. The Colburn 9, released. Released. Actual reporting on the shooting of that black guy, he had it coming. But these are the stories we have all the time. Man arrested twice in less than a month, stole a gun and vehicle charges, released. The conservatives, good guy with the gun, it's good. Police law to action a witness who killed shooter victim ID'd. Jonathan Spearman, 20. Killed three, but he's a piece of shit. And then Shanna Watts, he's the piece of shit. Not the guy, the, the, the killer. He He's not a piece of shit. They actually reported this. He broke mall rules because he was caring and he wasn't supposed to. Shannon Watts, imagine thinking that arming civilians with weapons of war and enable them to go into a mall to kill three people and wound three others before another armed civilian is forced to open fire on the gunman inside a crowded food court is a good thing. The U.S. Senator praising armed civilians who was forced to open fire. I don't know who needs to hear this, but when a 22-year-old illegally brings a loaded gun in a mall and kills a mass shooter, he's the bad guy. Got it. Yeah. Okay. And there's still nothing for shutdown DC. We're gonna dis we're gonna disrupt the baseball field, and nobody fucking cares. Matt Talibi had an excellent article. Article you can go over on Substack. What has Trump's endless prosecutions accomplished? Anybody? Do we have anything that has come out of it? Because to be quite honest. It's been a goose egg. Just a fucking goose egg.
I... Jay Powell frets release a man who's threatened her. This is what she wanted. This is what you want. You believe it's the system. You you just don't see that it's you. You are the reason we have this crime. You are the reason there are problems all over the place. Your gauge is totally broke. Yesterday, ABC loves lifelong activism of Hanoi Jane. You still think that's the hero, not the vets, not the guys who fought in Vietnam. No, they're not the heroes. Biden is ordering that Catholic hospitals have to do abortions. Catholic hospitals. Yeah. That's 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 really bad. So I want to end on some positive um, so let me find something because I never found any a, a funny this week. Give me two seconds. All right, I found one. It's an old one, but it's a Ranger Up one. It's pretty funny. But two stories. Number one, these fucking freaks. I bought my husband a sex doll so we can have three ways. And a story I sent my brother and sister. Oklahoma man kills fishermen out of fear of being eaten by Bigfoot. We are truly a horrible species, and if God smites us, we totally deserve it. leave you there looking all pathetic. Take a seat. I'm gonna give you a vaccine against COVID Delta. Ow! What for? I'll give you the symptoms. What are you talking about? You're gonna start to lose vision in your left eye. Yeah, I already have. Oh, and you're gonna get a really bad headache and a flop sweat. You call this a favor? Yeah, you owe me one. Come on. I'm gonna throw up on you. I need to get you changed. I feel right. I feel like I'm leaking. Yeah, that was that bastard. Where are we? Medical bay. This is worth it. Little suffering is good for the soul. Hey, how are you? My mouth is itchy. Is that normal? Well, those symptoms won't last long. I'm going to give you another booster shot. Oh, I wish I didn't know you. Don't be such an infant. How long is it supposed to be? Unbelievable. Uh, Jim, you're awake. How do you feel? Oh. Good God, man. What? Ah! What the hell is this? Reaction to the vaccine, damn it. Computer Google WebMD. Yo, I haven't seen a reaction this severe since med school. Or find into a trap. Damn it, Jim, stand still. Ah! Stop it. Laura. Laura. Her 
What are you doing? Two weeks to flatten the curve. Linda, what oh exactly? my God, what's wrong with your hands? Look, who is responsible for the COVID outbreak? Was it Flip Wongu? Was it Chef? What? What's, what's happening in my mouth? You got numb tongue? Numb tongue? I can fix that. What? Omicron. What? Omicron. Omicron. Yes. 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 Yeah, it's old, but that that's some good shit right there. It's pretty fucking funny. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please share this with your family and friends. Go to fuckpodcast.com. We'll find links to everything, and you can share it. Disconnect from your devices. Don't give the yeah, Sorry for kind of lackluster podcast. Not a lot going on. So we're going to push to the 23rd Saturday. will be our next podcast. Give us some time to restack the deck, get a few things going on. Until then, y'all take care. Be safe out there. Make sure you're strapped when you leave your house because there's a lot of stupid going on. I could have made that crime section go on for a long time. It's everywhere. It's not safe times. People are getting desperate because they're having a hard time making ends meet. When they're desperate, they do dumb shit. So be safe, my friends. And I will see you Saturday for the next show. Thanks for listening. Take care.